I enjoy so much seeing the gospel presented over and over again throughout these Old Testament books. And and this is yet another important section that clearly puts the glory of God on display, the gospel certainly at the forefront, and really shows us an amazing God. Uh, The events of 2 Samuel are moving forward. Last week we saw that David has let God down. And we've talked about what we're supposed to do. The big message of that was accepting uh, our sins, accepting the consequences for our sins. Understanding that is a part of repentance. Is that we are going to, to receive the consequences we deserve, though we can be forgiven by God. There are certainly going to be outcomes for the choices that we have made. And yet, in the face of David's failure, his complete letting down of God, how the movement of Second Samuel continues is to show that God is not going to let David down. After two chapters of here is David failing, and remember, David now is leaving Jerusalem. Absalom, his son, is now seizing the throne, kicking out David, and David is now taking select men with him, and he has gone back out into the wilderness. This is part of the consequence of his sin with Bathsheba murdering Uriah and all that had gone down with that and Nathan had confronted David in regards to that and these now are the consequences of it. And we saw David accepting that saying, you know, don't don't let uh, Shimei, we're not going to kill Shimei. Maybe God told him to curse me. I'm going to accept that. No, we're not going to fight for the throne. We're not going to fight for Jerusalem. I'm going to go ahead and leave. And this, if I found favor in God's sight, then He will bring me back into His presence and allow me to be here again. And so you see David's understanding of this. And now you're going to see God really display His glory in how He's going to deal with David. Now as this unfolds, you might think in chapters 16, 17 that you're not seeing the glory of God on display and you're not seeing God being faithful. But in taking these four chapters together, we will note these highlights of where God is showing He's putting His finger in the midst of the circumstances so that he can be faithful to God. In the middle of 2 Samuel uh, 16, what we see now is Absalom now comes into Jerusalem and he takes the throne. We are told about a man named Ahithophel. He is David's close advisor. He is a, a very wise person. He has betrayed David, has switched sides, and now is on Absalom's side. And so what Absalom then has is is Ahithophel there giving him advice. And the first thing Ahithophel says to Absalom is that what you need to do is take those concubines that David had left behind and go on the roof and have sex with them before all of Israel. And remember, we talked about the symbolism of David leaving the concubines behind was to suggest he hasn't given up the throne, that this is still his city, his throne, his reign. And so you understand what Ahithophel is saying is, no, it's not. 
Absalom is king. Absalom is establishing his reign. And Absalom is establishing this throne. And so that is what Absalom goes about doing. And remember, that is a fulfillment of prophecy. Remember, Nathan said to David, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. Here's Absalom. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. Here is now this fulfillment. That what you tried to hide with your adultery is now going to come back upon you and be done for all of Israel to understand. And so Absalom does that very thing, puts a tent on the roof, and therefore all of Israel understands essentially Absalom is king of Israel and he has established the throne. What is important that is underlined for us in chapter 16 is there in verse 23 we are told, Now in those days the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed both by David and Absalom. That is a very important line that is given to us. Everybody does what Ahithophel says. He is a sharp guy. He is a political mastermind. And when he says to do something, David does it. Absalom does it. Everybody respects what he says. Well, what's important about that is in chapter 17, Ahithophel then says, here's what you need to do if you're going to continue to establish your throne is you need to go attack David now. You need to allow me to choose some select men. Absalom, you stay here. I'm not going to need very many. Verse 1, give me 12,000. I'm going to pursue David. I'm going to have him killed. And that will solidify your throne. And all of Israel will be on your side because David will have been dealt with. Won't even kill anybody else, just David. That'll be it. Well, interestingly, when this betrayal had occurred and Ahithophel had flip sides and David was notified of this betrayal, he sends his good friend Hushai back to Jerusalem to be a consultant for Absalom as well. And in doing so, Hushai would be able to give information to the priests like Zadok to then inform David about what Absalom is doing. So Ahithophel gives this advice, and please remember what we read in 1623, everybody does what Ahithophel says. But this time, something strange happens. Because we are told there in verse 5 of chapter 17, Absalom calls for Hushai and says, what do you think? Especially after in verse 4, the advice seemed good to Absalom and all the elders of Israel. And the bill makes sense. Let's go do that. But for whatever reason, and I'll tell you the reason in a minute, but for whatever reason, Absalom says, bring in Hushai. And Hushai comes in and says, well, this time Ahithophel's got it wrong. You know your father. You know what David's like. You've seen what he's like in the wilderness. You can imagine, remember all the stories about him and Saul and how you could never get him. 
Well, he is going to bear down in that wilderness and he is going to be fierce if you come after him right now. He's going to attack you as if he were a bear robbed of his cubs. If you go for him at this moment, your men are going to be slaughtered. And if David wins against those 12,000, you're never going to seal the throne up. And David will be clearly observed as the true king and you're going to lose the throne. So here's what you need to do. You need to amass all of your armies from all of the tribes of Israel. Gather them together and go to war against David. And you, Absalom, lead the way and you kill David and all of his men. And it will be such a thunderous victory that everyone will certainly come to you as king. Well, for whatever reason... Absalom listens to Hushai rather than Ahithophel. But what I want you to notice is something interesting that is told to us in verse 14. For while we are stunned that Absalom has done this, notice the middle of verse 14 says, For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm on Absalom. Ah, here's God behind the scenes moving things around so that Absalom will ask Hushai and Hushai will give opposite advice because what the Lord wants to do is bring judgment against Absalom and to be able to bring this against him in such a way to put an end to this usurping And this false reign uh, that he has established. So I think it is so important to be watch this movement that is happening as God is not going to let David down. And so here is the first scene uh, of that being given is that God here and as working out a way so that Absalom will listen to Hushai for this counsel rather than doing what Absalom and David always did, listening to Ahithophel. And so God's hand is in that. By the way, before we move forward, notice there's no miracle here, but God's hand is directly working. God's hand is absolutely involved in this scene. And so much so that I want you to notice something amazing. Here is some foreshadowing in verse 23 of chapter 17 that we're told when Ahithophel finds out that his counsel was rejected, he sets his affairs in order and he hangs himself. Hmm. Does that ring any bells of what we just did this morning? Here is the outcome for betraying the Lord's anointed. Here is what happens. Here is what happens to the betrayer. Here is a foreshadowing of what Judas will do himself. He will betray the Lord and he will hang himself. Here is Ahithophel betraying the Lord's anointed. And when he hears that uh, his advice has not been taken, he then does the exact same thing. It just ties in directly to what we looked at this morning of the counsel of the wicked ultimately being overthrown. And judgment then is brought against Ahithophel for his actions against David in trying to cause his destruction. Doom comes to those 
who betray the king. And that is how chapter 17 ends. Now, we are going to continue to see the hand of God not letting David down and in rescuing David. So what we see this chapter 18 opens is that Absalom has followed Hushai's advice and gathered this massive army to come up against David. And as the battle then unfolds, we are told that 20,000 of Absalom's army are killed. Whoa. Major wipeout. Even with the massive numbers that Absalom has, David, with his fighting men, is able to fight back and give victory. However, don't think it's really David because notice the subtle statement in chapter 18 and verse 8 where we are told the battle spread over the face of all of the country and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. And so here is God working the victory so that as the fighting is going on in these forest areas that Absalom's men are falling. And a great example of that happens in verse 9. While Absalom is riding out in the victory and he's going to war and he thinks he's going to be so successful and he's riding on his mule, his long flowing hair remember Absalom GQ Israelite is riding on the on this mule and as he goes his long flowing hair gets caught in the tree and now he is suspended I love the wording between heaven and earth he's just hanging there by his hair by the way says the mule goes and rides off which that has some symbolism because when you wrote a king riding on a mule that's a, a picture of their reign and so here Absalom's reign has just gone right out from underneath him and now he is suspended there well one of David's men sees him just hanging there in the tree and doesn't do anything he runs to Joab and tells Joab all about it and Joab says you left him hanging in the tree why didn't you kill him well the reason why is David had made a proclamation to his men he had said to all his men Do not harm my son Absalom. And this soldier had heard that and tells Joab, the reason I didn't kill Absalom is because we all heard the king's command and you wouldn't have supported me if I had killed him. If I had gone about defying the king's command, essentially to put in the 21st century, Joab, you would have thrown me under the bus. And so that's why I didn't kill him. So Joab instead says, all right, show me where he's at. Joab puts three javelins through him and then his men kill him while he's suspended there from the tree. And what I want us to notice about Absalom and how this all plays out is what you see is ultimately Absalom's pride becomes the cause and the source of his own doing. You certainly see this arrogance and pride come out in chapter 18 and verse 18 because we're told Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself a pillar that's in the king's valley for he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. So he called the pillar after his own name and it's Absalom's monument to this day. Absalom so concerned that he wouldn't have any kind of glory afterward says, I'm going to build this monument to myself so everybody will remember me. There's only one other king that did that. Saul. 
So that puts him in the Saul category of not being a good king, uh, not being a good fellow. And so his pride is on display over and over again. And it is his pride that becomes a source of his undoing. Joab goes through with his men and they kill him. And verse 17 notes something really interesting. The way that they bury Absalom is a burial of a cursed man. I put the text up there on the screen from Joshua chapter 7, 8, and 10, where we read these burials of this is when you were someone accursed of God, then this is how you were buried. They basically throw rocks and set up the, this little rock grave for you. And so it's not a positive that you are reading in, in verse 17 when it says that they raised this great heap of stones over him. That is a burial of a curse that stones are on him. And so these scriptures show that as well. And in the midst of all of this, here and now, Absalom is dead. The threat to the throne is over. Victory has been given to David by God. We were told quite plainly that God was going to do something to Absalom for his sin. And so he, that's why Hushai's advice was taken. This is all God's movement. David is not rejoicing. Message comes to David, and we're told in in verse 31, Good news for my Lord the King. The Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. And David's first response back is, What about the young man Absalom? I love his answer. May the enemies of my Lord, the King, and all who rise up against you for evil be like this young man. In short, he's dead. And I love how he says it. May anyone else who ever plots evil against you or does anything against my Lord, the King, may they have the exact same outcome. And David begins to weep in verse 33. He is devastated over the loss of his son. And we can understand that to one level because it is because of David's sin that this has unfolded. It is because of David's sin that the, all of this difficulty and all of this pain and all of this death has come. It is David's sin that is ultimately under it. But I think it is important to observe at the moment that David is not seeing this as the Lord's deliverance. So much so we get a very interesting spark in chapter 19. Joab basically comes to David, pulls him aside and says, you need to get your act together. You're more upset over the loss of Absalom rather than the victory that's been given to you. You would have been happy if Absalom had stayed alive and you lost your whole army. And so if you don't get out of your sadness, wake up and see that the Lord has given you deliverance, you're going to lose your kingship and you're going to lose your men. Joab's an interesting guy. I'm going to say that to you probably every time as we go through. Joab is an interesting guy. And he seems to be pretty dead on here as now David kind of gets himself together, gathers his men and now it is time for his return to Jerusalem. This is the focal point of where all of this is leading that we see the hand of God involved and David begins to get a grasp of this. In chapter 19, David's return to Jerusalem is fascinating. We'll we'll get to talk about this in the Wednesday night class this 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 week. 
But one of the things that's particularly interesting is in the early part of chapter 19 and at the end of chapter 19, Israel is arguing over the legitimacy of David's kingship, which is really curious. It is certainly seems to be a foreshadowing of the arrival of Christ and Israel tries to figure out and seems to argue over, is he really the son of God? Is he really the king? Is he really the prophesied one? Israel's doing that with David. You'd say, of course David is the king. Are you kidding me? We have prophecy that has been given. Samuel exclaimed it. Saul understood it. Everybody knows David's to be king. And yet they're arguing over the kingship of David. Three interesting pictures now happen. What we have first is in chapter 19 and verse 16, we have the reemergence of Shimei. Now, remember what Shimei was doing last week. Last week, we saw Shimei, and as David is evacuating with his men and going out into the wilderness, Shimei is launching curses upon David. This is what you get for being a man of bloodshed and you killed all of Saul's house. We talked about he's lying. That's not true. David did not kill Saul's household. That was not his doing. It was not his will. He didn't want Abner to die. He didn't want Ishbosheth to die. Remember how he wailed over the death of Saul and the death of Jonathan. That was not his will. But Shimei's launching curses left and right. He's throwing rocks at him. He's throwing dirt at him to the point that Abishai says, you want me to go kill this dead dog? You want me just to deal with him? Well, now here David comes back. What's David going to do now with this guy? (laughs) Well, Shimei comes out to meet him. And I want you to notice what Shimei says in chapter 19, verse 19. He says, let not my Lord hold me guilty or remember how your servant did wrong. On the day my Lord, the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart for your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all to the house of Joseph to come down and meet my Lord, the king. Who's first to run back to David and say, I'm sorry. (laughs) That was a big mistake on my part. I have sinned against you. Don't take that to heart. By the way, notice what Shimei says in in verse 21. He says, "Shall, shall not Shimei be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? He wanted to lop off his head the first time. He's ready to go ahead and do it again this time. It's like, doesn't he deserve death? And friends, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. You cursed him, you threw rocks at him, you rejected the Lord's anointed. What should happen to him? He should die. But David says in verse 22, What have I to do with you, sons of Zariah, that you should this day be as an adversary to me? Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For do I not know that this day, that I am this day the king over Israel? And the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king gave him his oath. First picture Shimei, full of sin, rejecter of David, confesses his sin and receives grace. He immediately goes to David, comes before him, pleads for mercy, confesses his sin. And David says, okay, you're not going to die. 
Second picture begins in verse 24. Mephibosheth. Now, David encounters Mephibosheth. Now, this was a whole interesting curiosity we talked about last week. Remember, his servant Ziba comes out to David with resources. And David says, where's Mephibosheth? And Ziba says, oh, Mephibosheth stayed in Jerusalem because he thinks he's going to be king. And we talked about how disloyal that message was because David was doing gracious things for Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is lame. He's unable to provide for himself. He is a grandson of Saul. He would be then considered one that would die because he's of the prior dynasty. And yet Mephibosheth was eating at David's table on a daily basis. And so David comes to Mephibosheth and basically says, what happened to you? And what he tells them is essentially... Ziba left me behind. (laughs) I was all prepared to come. I was ready to meet you. I was going to be there with you and go out there with you. But when they said to come and they had the supposedly my horse all loaded up, nobody was there to put me on the horse and they abandoned me. And so verse 27, he has slandered your servant to my Lord, the king. But my Lord, the king is like the angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. So he says, listen, what Ziba told you was not true. He slandered me. I wanted to be with you. And I want you to notice the proof. The proof was in verse 24, where it says regarding Mephibosheth, he had neither taken care of his feet or trimmed his beard or washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. You see what Mephibosheth is doing? Mephibosheth was basically living in exile and spirit while David was gone. He wanted to go with him, but he's lame and his servant abandoned him. So Mephibosheth doesn't go, well, I guess I'll just enjoy the palace here and it'll be a great time. No, what he does is he acts like he's an exile. He doesn't trim his beard. He doesn't wash his clothes. He doesn't clean himself up at all. He acts as if he is unifying himself with David in the exile, as if he is also suffering with the king. And so you can imagine David would look at him and go, well, yeah, that's the way it looks. You haven't cleaned yourself up in as long as it's been since I left you and so what david does he says well i've given everything back to ziba remember ziba had said no he abandoned you and so david said okay well everything that i was going to give to mephibosheth i'm going to give to you ziba and so david says i'm going to allot it back to you mephibosheth and notice mephibosheth's response in verse 30 he said to the king oh let him take it all since my lord the king has come safely home Does Mephibosheth care about the property and all the stuff? He's just glad David's back. His heart was united to David. United with him in spirit in the exile. And all that he wanted to see was for the king to come back to Jerusalem. Third picture is in verse 31 that carries to the end of the chapter. We have a fellow named Barzillai. Barzillai, we are told, is someone who also had been given giving resources to David. Verse 32, provided for the king with food when he stayed with him and he was a very wealthy man. And so David says, essentially, I want to bless you. I want to do good for you because 
You have done good to me. Come live with me in Jerusalem. And Barzilli basically says, I'm an old fellow and I don't really care about all that. Why don't you bless my servant instead and let him enjoy all of that because I don't really care about all of those things. The point that you get from Barzillai is essentially, I didn't do this because I thought you'd repay me one day. I did it because it was the right thing to do. You're the king. And so that's why I came out to you is I gave you what you should have as king. And he wasn't looking for anything in return. He wasn't looking for a reward. He didn't care about that. He was just doing this because David is the king of Israel. Let's then bring these messages together because the big picture that I want you to see, one that is just filled through these four chapters, is ultimately that David has failed God, but God did not fail him. Even though David had to endure all these consequences and dealt with the pain of sin and the loss of his son and losing the throne and going out into the wilderness and suffering the way that he does, what I want you to see is that God did not forsake David. That God did not abandon him. God never abandons those who belong to him. And David's failure, David's sin did not mean that God was going to let him down and that God was going to leave him and abandon him and that was going to be it. One of the things that is so precious about the gospel is this declaration over and over again is that God is faithful to us even when we fail him. You have to love it when you read it there. If we are faithless, God remains faithful. That is stunning that the Apostle Paul writes those words. And it is something that you see happening here. David has let God down. But God has not let David down. This is such an important truth. Our lives can go into complete chaos. We can make such a mess of our lives. We can cause all kinds of problems and we can wreck things because of our own sins. But that does not mean that God will abandon us, that God will be there for us. As you see David keeping with God, God is there for him. And the same is true for us. That we can have these horrible sins and yet God will be there for us to come back to him. It's never too late. It's never too big. It's never too much. What David has done are huge, huge sins and God remains faithful. He does not let his people down, which really leads then to the gospel picture of what we see happening here as David as king. It's very interesting, by the way, in the text You'll notice that David's name's not there a whole lot. It often just says the king, the king, the king, the king. And as the king now comes back to Jerusalem, I want you to see the dispensing of grace and mercy that comes. He first dispenses grace and mercy to the repentant. Here's Shimei cursing him, throwing rocks at him. Spreading lies and telling untruths about what David has done. But Shimei confesses a sin. Shimei repents. And David offers grace. First picture. When the king comes, he offers grace to the repentant. The second picture, Mephibosheth. 
He lived in exile until the king returned. You know, the New Testament is always telling us, and we have a song that we sing that says it, this isn't your home. You're in exile. You're just passing through. That we live as exiles in this world. This is not our final place. And we live in anxious hope and anticipation for the return of the king. We do not live for the pleasures of this world and the comforts of this world and live it up as if this is all that there is. But there is this longing for the king to return. You see that picture with Mephibosheth. See, you know, living it up in the palace. No, he's longing for the return of the king. That's all that he cares about. That's all that he desires. And that is what we are supposed to be doing. And when the king returns, he is going to give grace to the repentant. He's going to give grace to those who have lived in exile, who have been longing for his return and not plunge themselves into pleasures and desires of this world, but looking for the desires and the pleasures of God. And then remember, Barzilli, grace is given to him because he did what was right, because it's the right thing to do. You do what God says because you're going to live in loyalty to the king. It's not out of what's best for me, trying to get some reward out of it, trying to do what's some kind of personal advantage for ourselves. We are loyal to God because that's what God deserves. This is really just an amazing picture of the implications of what would happen yet again. Because then Jesus tells parables about how this king is going to go away for a time. And then he's going to come back. And then he's going to see if there's any faith on the earth. And is anybody going to be waiting for his arrival? And all of that was being prefigured. Back here as David leaves Jerusalem. And we saw him cross the Kidron Valley, go to the Mount of Olives, and then he comes back. And what will his people do? And the message of the text is, will you be repentant? Will you live in exile? And will you be loyal to the king until he comes? Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I continue just to be amazed at how we see pictures of your son, of his reign, of his return, and of his grace. Lord, thank you for these beautiful pictures as seen through David, as he represents ultimately what you are going to do for all the world. And Lord, we thank you that you are a gracious God. We are like Shimei and we are not deserving of your grace. We are worthy of death. We are full of sins and we have turned our back on you. Lord, thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for loving us so much that you would come back to us and restore us to you. Lord, help us to live as exiles in this world. Lord, forgive us for how easy it is to be caught up in the affairs of this country in the affairs of this earth, so much so that we lose sight of eternity. Help us to see that our time here is short and what we long for is you. And so, Lord, give us the courage to live with loyalty towards you. Give us the desire of eternity with you over the things of this world. Lord, teach our hearts. 
to not love the things of this world and to not be caught up in the cares of this world, but instead care for you and long for you until you come back. In Jesus' name, amen. We will be singing a song of invitation here in just a moment. And if we can help you in any way to make changes in your life, to see the beauty of the grace of God who comes and is going to come back and wants to give grace to those who will turn for them sin, from their sins and live faithfully and loyally, loyally toward him. Can we help you in any way? Won't you come while we stand, while we sing?